The following pre-recorded program is paid for by Carla Swanigan Ministries. Get ready to experience and receive the grace you long for from the heart of God. Welcome to Scandalous Grace with Carla Swanigan. Carla is a wife and mother, international speaker, minister, and engaging storyteller known for her transparency with an impactful testimony of how God has transformed her own life. Her desire is to connect you with the heart of God and the truth of how he truly loves and sees you. If you're hurt, if you're broken, if you yearn for God's love and acceptance, let the healing begin. Now, here's Carla Swanigan. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Scandalous Grace. I am Carla Swanigan. I'm so glad you're joining us on the show today where we leave religion out of it and just bring Jesus. Today on the show, we are going to be talking about believing for your unbeliever. And what I mean by that is, you know, we all probably have somebody in our life that we're believing God for, for their salvation. You know, it might be a family member. It might be um, a spouse even, or a friend or a coworker. You know, maybe it's a neighbor that you know that, that doesn't know Jesus. So today we're going to be talking about that. We're going to be um, talking about having the faith to believe God for them, no matter how far away from the Lord they appear to be. And we're going to talk about praying for them and why we should pray for them and, and the types of prayers that we should pray for them. So if you have your Bibles, turn in your Bible with me. The verse that um, kept coming to me for this message today when the Lord first put it on my heart to talk about this was from Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9. And it's the verse that says, The Lord does not delay his promise, as some understand delay but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. And a lot of times when I've heard that verse in the past, I've always heard it in the context of waiting for something that God has promised me specifically, like waiting for my daughter, um, that God promised me I'm going to have someday or, or waiting, um, for some ministry, um, promise to come to pass that I know that God has spoken over my life and that he's called me to do. But, he kept highlighting it to me for this message because it is absolutely also about believing God for the unbelievers in our life that, that we really want to encounter Jesus. Um, you know, his heart, like it says in this verse is that none would perish, that we would all come to know him. And, um, this texture, the texture, the scripture that I read from that translation was the HCSB, but I want to read it to you from the passion as well, because I just love the way that it's worded here. So I'm going to read second Peter chapter three, verse nine from the passion. If you don't know what the passion is, um, if you haven't heard me talk about that before on the show, the passion translation is by Dr. Brian Simmons. It's a, it's a translation from the Greek and in the Hebrew, the Aramaic, all of that. Um, you can look it up online. It's just a really great way to get into the word and, and honestly get passionate about reading the word. And, um, that's what it's done for me. And it's done for a lot of my friends and people that I've told it, um, told about it to them. So you can find it on Amazon. It's the passion translation. But anyway, let's go back to chapter three of second Peter. I'm going to read to you verse nine from this translation. This means that contrary to man's perspective, the Lord is not late with his promise to return as some measure lateness, but rather his delay simply reveals his loving patience towards you because he does not want anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. And that's talking about Jesus coming back. And, and, um, 
I don't know about you, but I want all of my loved ones to know the Lord, of course, before they die. But I especially want them to know the Lord before he comes back. Like, you know, it says in the word, the very next verse and that scripture talks about Jesus coming back and taking us all by surprise. Like we don't know the hour. We don't know the time. We don't know the day. And so I'm really passionate for the lost, whether it's people I know or I don't know, but I'm especially passionate because my heart is attached um, to the lost that are in my family, my extended family, um, you know, anybody that I love or care about friends, neighbors, there are people in my life. I don't know about you. If you've been a believer for a long time, you may be like me that there are people that you've been praying for, for over a decade, maybe decades, you know, depending on how old you are and how long you've been walking with the Lord. And I just want to encourage you today. Don't give up. The Lord hasn't given up on them. You don't stop praying for them. You don't stop loving them like Jesus. You don't stop being a witness of God's goodness to them because it's God's will that they would come to know him. You know, even in my own life, I'll tell you a little story. Um, when I first, I got saved as a little girl. If you don't know my testimony, I got saved when I was, you know, eight or nine years old. I came to the Lord and I grew up knowing him and loving him and being a youth leader in my church and then kind of stepped away from him when I was in college, when it, when it wasn't cool, you know, to be a Jesus freak. And I kind of lost my way for a long time and then came back to the Lord much later in life in my thirties. And in my second marriage, I've been divorced and gotten remarried. And my husband was raised Catholic. I was raised Southern Baptist. And so when we started going back to church, we tried to find a non-denominational church where we both felt welcome and where we felt like we could, you know, adapt to that way of um, going to church. And so we found a church that we both agreed on and we liked, and we started going there. But I knew that John wasn't saved. I We had talked about it. I had asked him flat out, have you ever prayed the prayer of salvation? And, you know, he explained to me, no, I got baptized, dedicated as a kid, and that's it, you know? So I knew that John did not have a salvation experience. I knew he didn't have a personal experience with the Lord. And so I began to pray for that for him. Um, on top of all the other things that were going on in our marriage and God was trying to restore and redeem our marriage. I was also praying for John's heart for him to believe. And a lot of times when I would talk to him, you know, he would kind of roll his eyes at me or he would, you know, tell me I was being too extreme or being too spiritual. And I knew that there were several times that I felt the Holy spirit telling me to lay off, you know, like just be an example to him, just live your life. Let him see what God's done in your life for himself. Um, but lay off all the berating and, you know, beating him upside the head, practically trying to get him to read the Bible that I bought for him that he didn't even ask for. So um, it's just sitting there gathering dust on the end table, you know, and I would just get so frustrated and God had to really pull the reins back and be like, listen, this is not your job. This is the job of the Holy spirit. I've asked you to partner with me in prayer for his salvation, but it is not your job to get him saved. You know, it's just not, um, the great commission says, go out into all the world and tell them about Jesus. Well, I had done that. I had told him about Jesus. Now it was the Lord's part to draw John to him. And so I remember this went on for, I don't know, over a year, year and a half, maybe two years. I'm praying for him and John's going to church. I mean, it was every Sunday, but I can tell he's mostly still going out of obligation and because the family's going and, and he enjoyed like seeing everybody at church and the social aspects of it. He wanted to be there, 
but, um, he wasn't, he wasn't having that God encounter that I had prayed for and the salvation message had not broken through to his heart yet. And I remember being at a really just frustrated point and having to go back and forth with the Lord. I mean, I can't tell you guys how many times I had the conversation with him where I'm like, Lord Jesus, I've been praying for this and he won't even read his Bible. And he's just going through the motions of church and blah, 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 blah. And the Holy spirit pulling those reins back again and saying, yeah, this is not your job. This is not what I ask you to do. Your assignment is to pray for him. You are not supposed to berate him into the kingdom. That's just, hello, that is not going to work. Okay. That's not going to work for you. And for anybody listening, if you're doing that, take my advice, save your breath. That's not going to work. And that, I don't think that's God's heart. It certainly wasn't when he was talking to me about my situation. But one Sunday we're at church and, um, we get to the end of the message and you guys, it was just saying normal message. And I mean, it was a great message. I'm sure. Um, but my point is it wasn't some miraculous, incredible PowerPoint. Um, the glory did not fall in the sanctuary or anything crazy like that. It was just your typical word of God message. You know, God is good. Same thing that the pastor preaches on a Sunday and we get to the end and, you know, he's the pastor's like, okay, every eye closed, every head bowed. You know, if you go to a church like that where they want you to close your eyes. And so I remember my, my son, Zach was still living at home at the time. He was a teenager in high school. And so we're standing there together and Zach's on my left, John's on my right. And, you know, we bow our heads and close our eyes and he goes, okay. And he prays for people's salvation. The pastor does. And then he says, okay, if you if you want to give your life to the Lord, if you want to accept him as your savior for the first time, I want you to lift your hand up. And I felt John and I were standing so close together. I felt his arm brush against mine. I felt him lift his shoulder. I felt his shoulder go up and you guys, I couldn't help it. I totally broke the rules and opened my eyes. <laughs> I was like, what's happening? Could it be? And I look over and John's eyes are closed. Thank goodness he didn't bust me. I had to admit it later, but he didn't bust me in the moment. But he had his hand raised high, and I could tell that he was receiving the Lord for the first time. And I looked over and saw that my son, my teenager, our son Zachary, saw the whole thing, and we were both like, wow, God. You know, like we both had amazed looks on our face, but then we both had the guilty close your eyes and bow your head again look. <laughs> so we hurried and closed our eyes so we wouldn't get caught. But you guys, it was so awesome to see years of prayer down on my knees, prayers, sometimes in tears, prayers of frustration, you know, um, thinking about all those days where I wanted to give up. And I didn't think that it would ever happen that John would give his life to the Lord because his, his, you know, everything about his situation said that he wasn't going to be into it, you know, that it wasn't going to happen, but God did it. You guys, when the time was right and I got off my self-righteous high horse and I quit trying to berate him into the kingdom and boss him into receiving Jesus. God did it his way and in his timing. But I know that it was because, um, God loves John. He loves all of his kids. He wants them in the kingdom. He wants a personal relationship with them. He wants their salvation. And also because he calls us to partner in prayer for that and to believe him for that. You know, we have faith for our healing or we have faith for a new job or we have faith um, for that marriage that we're believing God for, for whatever it is. But we also, you guys need to have faith for the unbelievers in our life. 
I don't care how dire the situation is. I'm telling you, nothing is too hard for God. Won't he do it? Amen. He will. And so I remember that morning, you guys, after church, we used to always go out to lunch or breakfast or whatever, depending on what time the service got out that we went to that day. And I remember going and I was so excited on the inside, but I did not want John to know that I totally broke the rules and saw him raise his hand. So we're sitting at breakfast and, and, you know, having our food and out at a restaurant. And then towards the end of the breakfast, John just pipes up and he's like, that was a good sermon today, huh? And I was like, yeah, that was really good. You know, I enjoyed that. There were a lot of good points and I'm just trying to be real laid back and casual. And then all of a sudden he's like, yeah, I raised my hand at the end for, I received Jesus as my savior. I raised my hand and I was like, oh, okay. You know, I tried to play it really cool again. I still didn't wrap myself out and tell him, but I gave a quick little glance over at Zachary and we both kind of did the little wink, wink, nod, nod. Cause we were both so excited. Um, and I just told John how proud I was of him and, and how awesome I thought that was. And then later, of course I confessed much later, I think probably like a couple of years later when we were talking about that story, I told John, yeah, I knew the whole time. I totally totally snuck a peek. So, um, you know, guys, the people in our life that don't believe there's always, gosh, there's always hope. Um, it's like I said earlier, it's God's heart. It's what he wants. Um, one of the scriptures that I read, um, for today brings me to what I want to talk about next. And that is from second Corinthians four, four. There are like three scriptures that came to mind that I wanted to read about this. And second Corinthians said in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who's the image of God. And basically what that verse is talking about is, you know, Satan, our enemy has blinders on people's eyes, you know, so that they won't recognize that, that Jesus is real, or they won't recognize that they need to repent. They won't recognize sin in their life. They won't, um, recognize that they need the gospel. Right. And so that's what it's telling us in second Corinthians. And then it talks about in acts chapter 26, verse 18, that we pray for God to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in Jesus. And so that's like something straight up right there, straight from the word that you can pray from Acts. That's chapter 26, verse 18, that you can be praying for your loved ones, that God would open their eyes, that they would um, go from darkness to light and that they would receive forgiveness of their sins. Um, that's the, one of the biggest thing that I think I've encountered. Um, I had a coworker years ago, um, that I worked with actually, it wasn't even, um, it was more of a volunteer job. So we weren't paid to be there. We were volunteering at this particular place and, um, for social justice type stuff. And we were volunteering there and there was a lady who used to tease me a lot, you know, about my faith and she would make jokes and, um, you know, just kind of make fun of me for believing. She told me that it was like weak and lame to believe in God. And she was super smart and she had a degree in chemistry, I think, or biology. So she was very science oriented and, and she just felt like that, that God couldn't have anything to do with science and all that other kind of stuff. And so she really made fun of me for believing in that. And she told me that only unintelligent people, you know, believe that there could be one God that created everything. And she just never missed an opportunity to tease me. Or, you know, make a joke about my faith. And I used to leave and, you know, go home and 
talk to God about it and just try and get grace to even be around her because it got to be pretty frustrating. Um, but then I just started praying that God would open her eyes to the truth and kind of like the scripture talks about in acts that she would go from darkness to light. And not only that, but that God would give me the grace and the patience to endure her teasing, but also to be a awesome witness for him to her, that he would make me an attractor to her, that, um, I would be somebody that when she thought of what God and his kingdom would, was like, that I would be a good representative of that for him. And I would make that attractive to her and that I would be a good witness for him. And I knew that there was no point in trying to like, um, quote scripture to her or anything like that. That was not going to be the way to her heart. God made it very clear that my lifestyle and the way I lived my life and the way I carried myself and behaved in public and in private is what was going to make the difference to her. And it's what was going to impact her life for Jesus. So I just prayed for her. I prayed for her to come to know Christ. Like I'm, I'm talking to you guys about to do today. And, um, I was just really aware of her needs and I always lifted her up in prayer in private. Like if I knew she was going through something, I prayed for her and I encourage you guys to do that too. You know, just because they're not believing doesn't mean that you should only be praying for their salvation. You know, if you see needs in their life, pray for those needs too, and do it in your prayer closet. You don't need to go up to them and be like, yeah, I'm praying for your health. I see that you're really sick. And especially if you know that's something they don't want to hear that turns them off. Um, I think you should pray for them, but you don't have to announce to them that they're doing that you're doing it. You know what I mean? That can be between you and the Lord because sometimes that's just not appropriate. It's not going to be, um, what the Holy spirit is asking you to do in that particular circumstance. So just pray and ask him, you know, Lord, how do I, do I, do I let them know I'm praying for them? How do you want me to handle this? And he'll show you with each individual person, the blueprint and the strategy for his kingdom purposes that he has for them. He knows he created them. He knows what makes them tick. He knows what turns them off to the gospel and what will attract them to him. So just pray and and he'll show you that. But in this particular, particular situation with this, this woman, um, she called me up one day after we had been volunteering together and she said, can you please pray for me and pray for my boyfriend? He's really sick. He's been in an accident and they don't think he's going to make it. And you know, I'm just really worried about him. And I'm like, of course, absolutely. I will pray for you and I'll pray for him. And so I, I immediately went and met with her and, and prayed for him and prayed for, you know, God to give her peace and for God to give the doctor's wisdom that we're operating on him And you guys, she was so touched and so moved. She received Jesus that day. She asked me to, to lead her through the sinner's prayer. And I did that. And, um, we talked and she told me afterwards, she said, you know, I knew there was something different about you. And she said, deep in my heart, I wanted to believe, but I just didn't think that it was possible. And she's like, now I know that God is real. And you guys, that's nothing I did. That's straight up what the Holy Spirit did. He showed up for her in her moment. She felt his presence. She felt his comfort when she needed him to be there and guide and direct her and give her peace. He was there for her and she felt it. And that was her God encounter. You know, that's what that's what made him real to her. And you never know how God is going to show himself real to a person or what the situation is going to be. Or like I said, what's going to attract the unbeliever to him. But our part of that is to partner with him in prayer for their salvation and partner with him as a witness of God's goodness on this earth and to just show them that he is real by the way we live our lives and the way we carry ourselves and 
you know, the way that we pray, the way that we pray for them in private too. So, um, it tells us in Acts 16 that God will open people's eyes and hearts. It says in Acts 16, chapter chapter 16, verse 14, a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who worshiped God, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention, attention to what was spoken by Paul. And I think that's what happened that day with that lady. The Lord just opened her heart in that moment, in her hour of need, in her fear of her circumstance with her boyfriend who was really sick and in a situation of, of needing some, some Jesus and God brought her peace in that moment. And he showed up right then and there when she needed him. And like I said, you never know how God's going to do it, but we need to pray for them and we need to pray that he'll open up their eyes and their heart, you know? Um, so we're going to be praying that God would soften their hearts towards him. And we're going to pray that he would open their eyes But we also need to pray for ourselves, like I talked about with this woman and with my husband, that God would show us how to interact with them, how to talk to them about Jesus, when to say something specific and and when to hold off, you know, and, and just how to live as, as a witness before them, you know, and the words to speak to them. But there's also a couple of things I just want to encourage you not to do. You know, just some tips based on my experience from what I've learned with the Lord so far about what not to do. So we do want to be praying that God will open their eyes. But a couple of things that we don't want to do is don't do what I did. Don't be all self-righteous and um, what my mom used to call holier than now. Like what you don't want to do, especially you guys with your spouse. Oh, I feel so bad for the times I did this to John. You don't want to sit there and condemn the way they're dressing or condemn the program that they're watching or, or tell them all the reasons why they shouldn't be listening to that type of music. I still catch myself. I'll walk in the room and John will be listening to something that he's working out to, um, down in our basement in the gym. And I'll be like, wow, this music is trashy. Sure. You want to listen to this? And the way I say it is not convicting. It's condemning. Okay. So I just encourage you don't do that (laughs) like I did because that's not the Lord's heart, you know, and by the way, you can speak the truth. This is not about speaking the truth in love because I know I'm already hearing in my head people's arguments that are listening. We have to speak the truth. Absolutely. Speak the truth in love and speak the truth to believers who already have Jesus in their heart and they need that conviction and they need it. We need each other to hold each other accountable. But I promise you those people that hold up the signs that say turn or burn on a, every street corner, those people are not drawing anybody to Jesus. Just so you know, it's just, they're just not the way Jesus attracted himself to people and drew people to himself was he loved them. Well, he engaged them in conversation. He healed their sickness and their disease. He looked for the outcast, the sinner. He loved on them. He did not scream from the rooftops, turn or burn. <laughs> I mean, that's not going to do it folks. Okay. If you haven't figured that out already. So don't be that holier than thou Christian. Like I was for a while. Um, don't do that. Don't be condemning to them. You live the way that God's called you to live and they will be attracted to that. That's the example that you set. Okay. Also let's don't respond to every difficulty or crisis in their life that they might engage in conversation with you about. And they may come to you with the problem, you know, don't engage them in response with a scripture. You know, like, um, save that for when the Holy spirit prompts you for a specific scripture, like a, uh, a word in due season, you know, that verse that tells us a word in due season is awesome. That's great. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the super annoying and cliche responses 
that we give to people like, well, God is good all the time and all the time. God is good. Well, yes, that is absolutely true. But you know what? That unbeliever who doesn't have Jesus yet does not want to hear that. And that's actually not helping them for you to say that that might make you feel better, but that's not helping that person. So if they come to you and say, you know, I have a teenager that's going through this, this or this, and they're skipping school and they're sneaking out, give them some practical wisdom. And then if you feel led, tell them that you'll pray for them. But if not, go home and pray for them. That's what they need. They don't need our cliche stuff. So don't do that. Pray that God will soften their heart, that he'll open their eyes and lead them to the Lord from darkness to light. So let me pray for you now. Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray for anybody listening that doesn't know you, first of all, God, that they will receive you as their Savior even now, God. I pray, Father, for those listening that have unbelievers in their life that need you, Jesus, to come into their heart and give them um, give them your truth, Lord. Show us how to pray for the unbelievers in our life. Show us how to be an attractor for you in a way that honors you, God, and draws people to your heart. I thank you, God, that you show yourself real to people. In Jesus' mighty name, I pray. Amen. Thank you guys so much for tuning in. You can find out more about this ministry at carlaswanigan.com. Remember, leave religion out of it and just bring Jesus. We hope you were blessed by today's episode of Scandalous Grace with Carlos Wanigan. Please go to carlaswanigan.com to listen to podcasts, see where Carla will be speaking, and to find out about all of Carla Swanigan Ministries' resources, including her video devotional series. Scandalous Grace with Carla Swanigan is a listener-supported radio ministry outreach. We depend on your prayers and donations. Please go to carlaswanigan.com for ways you can partner with Carla in reaching listeners with God's love and grace. Please join us again next Saturday at 4 p.m. for Scandalous Grace with Carla Swanigan.